Well, good morning. Are you doing well? You look good. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jason. Um, I like to think of myself as maybe the uncle or cousin you didn't know you had. <laughs> Not the crazy ones, you know, because we all have those ones. Maybe a little crazy, but uh, um, I got to be a part of this community before it ever began. And over two years ago, when Pradeepan and a couple of guys came and we were just scouting out different cities, we met just a few blocks from here in a place called Lot 3 and had lunch and just started praying. And he's just like, I don't know where God wants us to plant a church. We were just praying in that moment and just saying, I think it's here. I think it's Bellevue. And now you get to be a part of fulfillment of those prayers. And um, it truly is beautiful. And I love just the very heart of this community is truly existing just to show you the beauty of Jesus. So today, special day. It's an honor. Um, so overjoyed. And uh, your pastors are away getting some rest, taking a little vacay, which is needed, getting some sunshine. How many know sunshine is good? Hey, if you are a guest here today, so am I. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> but above all else, we hope that you just relax. We hope that you're at ease. You know that you're with a bunch of people that don't have it all together. We actually, true core of who we are, we're all broken. We all need help. And it's not our wholeness and our perfection that brings us together, but it's actually our weakness and our differences that we learn from one another and that we're joined together. So no matter who you are, no matter what your story is, you belong. You belong here. You belong in this community. And you're loved. We might not even know your story yet, but you're loved. And you're welcome here. So I hope that in this moment that we have, maybe this whole uh, church thing is new to you. Somebody convinced you, say, you're going to get a free lunch afterwards. Um, I hope that you relax and know that our heart is to build you up, not beat you up. That you're going to leave here encouraged, knowing how much God loves you and is for you. And it's going to be good. Amen? Amen. And we're going to go to this book. This is uh, God's love story to humanity. And it really is a beautiful way that we can discover who he is and how much who we are, too. I know you guys have been in the book of John, right? Just finishing up the book of John, for those who are part of this community, been doing a, a series on the book of John, reading it every week. And I know, I think this next week, you'll be doing John 21. But uh, when I was talking to Pradeepan, he said, we're doing this book of John. I'm like, awesome. I have this message, but it's right at the end of the book of John. He's like, that would be perfect. This is, um, and more than just a message, I believe it's uh, something that God wants to talk to us about. And today, um, in these moments that we have, I want to talk to you about something a little bit unique and a little bit different, but I want to talk to you about conversations. And these conversations are some of the most powerful conversations they might only be a couple sentences. They might only be a couple of words. They might be so brief, but these conversations have the power to determine your destiny. They shape you. They shape you and I. They might be shaping you right now. And the thing about these conversations is often they're never spoken out loud, but they happen in our head and they happen in our heart. Whether we know it or not, whether they're in our subconscious, they're dictating and driving who we are. Today, I want to take these moments to talk to you about that. And we're going to go to a story in, this, in, in John 21. Um, and for those of you who are linear, sequential, this is going to be a little bit different for you, so just be ready. I'm just going to preface that ahead of time. 
for the random abstracts is gonna be good. You know, for those of you ready for like the story, you're like, you didn't finish that, just wait. It's gonna be finished. It's gonna come back around. Just, just prepare you. Um, I wanna help you. I'm number two Enneagram, so I'm here to help you. Uh, <laughs> Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Check it out. You'll learn about your marriage, your spouse, a lot of people by doing it. It's pretty amazing. Uh, but it's going to be, I'm going to touch on a few things and come back around uh, just because I believe that there's something in this journey that God wants to speak. So I'm going to go to John chapter 21. Do I have any other twos? Any other twos? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you don't even know what that is. That's okay. <laughs> Two wing. Okay. I'm going to pick up this story. Quick background, Jesus for three and a half years had uh, walked this planet showing people his love, his grace, his freedom, his forgiveness, really revealing that he was the Messiah. He was the one that people had prophesied for years and years to come. He didn't just, show, he didn't just say it, he showed it. And for three and a half years, he had 12 dudes and a lot of other people that constantly followed him around. And they believed that he was going to bring the kingdom of, of God. They were going to bring this, this new kingdom here on earth. But all of a sudden, after this three and a half years, it didn't look like they had thought. It didn't happen the way that they had thought. He wasn't becoming the king that they had thought. And this Jesus that they had followed was crucified. And he had told them, he said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be crucified. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. But there's a dude in this midst, and he's... Um, He's one of my favorites. His name is Peter. He's also got a name, Simon, but his, Jesus calls him Peter a little bit later on. He's one of those guys who just opens his mouth, says whatever comes to, you know, doesn't even think about it, just says whatever happens. And, you know, he's just that person. You know what I'm talking about? You know those people. Um, <laughs> but I love him because they're so full of passion, so full of life. Just before Jesus is about to be crucified, he just says, look, there's some that are going to deny me. And Peter just says, he utters these words. He says, Jesus, no matter what, I will never deny you. Even if all these guys, they'll deny you, but I never will. And Jesus says, just graciously, he's like, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. And Luke 22 actually says that literally a teenage girl comes up and says, you surely were one of his disciples. And he literally curses and says, how dare you? I'm not one of those people. The Bible says on that third time that Jesus actually looked back and connected eyes with Peter. There's something that happened in his heart, in his moments of following him and then denying him. Jesus rises from the dead on the third day, victorious over death and the grave, and reveals himself. He's already revealed himself to Peter. This is probably the third time, but there's still something going on inside of his heart. That's where we pick up the story. So John 21, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. It says this, Later, Jesus appeared once again to a group of his disciples by the Lake of Galilee. It happened one day while Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel, Canaan of Galilee, Jacob, John, and the two others, disciples were all together. Peter told them, I'm going fishing. I'm going back. I'm going back to what I used to do. I'm going back to where I came from. I don't get what's going on. I'm just going back. I'm going fishing. And they replied, we're going to go with you. So they went out and finished. They fished through the night, but they caught nothing. 
Then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was him. He called out to them saying, I love this. It's just a beautiful picture of Jesus. Hey, guys, did you catch anything? There's humor in this text that you really see. And they're sitting there. He said, not a thing. Got nothing. Jesus shouted out to them, throw your nets on the other side, the starboard side, the side that's closest to the shore, the side that doesn't have the fish, but throw it on that side. Then the disciples, oh, then it says, so they did, as he said, and they caught so many fish that they couldn't even pull in their nets. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter heard him say that, he quickly wrapped his outer garment around him. And because he was athletic, <laughs> I like that. John's like, I mean, no big deal. He's got a good body. Keto, keto works for him. It's cool. He's athletic. He just swam to shore. That's cool. John's a little bit of the competitive one. He's like, when they're racing to the tomb, he's like, yeah, it's cool. I beat him. It's no big deal. But because he was athletic, he dove right into the lake to go to Jesus. The other disciples then brought the boat to shore, dragging their catch of fish. They weren't far from land, only about 100 meters. And when they got to shore, they noticed a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. Then Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Peter waded in the water and helped pull the net to shore. It was full of many fish, large fish, exactly 153. But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Come, let's have some breakfast, Jesus said to them. Not one of the disciples needed to ask who it was because every one of them knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus came close to them and said, and serve the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. Will you pray with me? Jesus, in these moments, have your way. Have your way. God, you know every story. You know every journey. You know every person. God, you know even above all the conversations that have been happening in people's heads and their hearts. And I pray for healing in life today. I thank you that you're going to speak specifically, accurately. I thank you for the jivas. I thank you that you're refreshing them. I thank you that you're going to just give them all they need, even as they're away, God, that they're going to feel so refreshed, full of life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have you ever had something that um, didn't go as planned? Yeah. <laughs> Where are my planners at? You like a plan? You have it thought out? You know, you're like, you're ready. You're like... I see it, I know it, I'm ready to go. I like plans, but I'm usually more of like, let's just improvise as we go. I hold plans lightly, but... Um, life has a way, though, of messing with our plans, right? And just situations and things just don't go the way that you hoped, the way that you planned, the way that you thought. I come from a, a long line of people who have a family that follow Jesus, and uh, my story is too long to go into, but my parents are like old school. They were like Bible smugglers into Russia way back in the day when Russia was communist. They had been arrested dozens of times, thrown in prison, but they were just hardcore, just like, we're going to see people that don't know Jesus, um, and they were able to bring in millions of Bibles, start literally thousands of churches in communist Russia and Eastern Europe, and they're my heroes, um, and just truly showed me and our family just what it meant to live that lifestyle of faith. Uh, but it was not always an easy journey. 
I remember my mom telling me this is one of their, their, their first trips into Russia. And they had just, um, they were so excited because they were going to bring a whole suitcase full of Bibles into Russia. And that was a big deal because at that time, one Bible, you could get in prison for up to 10 years just for having a Bible. Um, and so they were bringing a whole suitcase in. And before this, God had done some pretty crazy, radical things. And just like literally guards would just open up, see the Bibles and just not see them. Just completely look over like, oh, you're good. Go ahead. And this time, for whatever reason, it didn't happen that way. Immediately, the, the guards opened up their car and saw this whole suitcase full of Bibles. And so they took my, my mom in one room, and they took my dad in the other room, and they started just interrogating them. And this one guard, literally, they began to strip search and go through the whole process. This one guard was literally about to just, he was just yelling at my mom. And he literally was about just to beat her. He just pulled his arm back. And literally just was about to hit her right in the face. And all she could say is, in the name of Jesus, stop. Wow. And immediately the guy's, the guy's arm just froze. He just literally couldn't move it. Wow. And he's like, what did you do to me? Whoa. He's like, stop it. Stop it. And she's like, no. <laughs> she's like, thank you. <laughs> he's yelling. He's like, stop it. And so all of a sudden, God just told my mom, just pray for him. She just said, in Jesus' name, be healed. His arm just dropped to the side. And he's just sitting there. He's like, what, what, what was that? What's going on? And God starts speaking to her. And God speaks to us. And maybe you've never heard him speak to you, but he wants to speak to us. But God started speaking to her about this guy, his story. Talked about who he was and that he had known who Jesus was since he was a boy. The man began to weep talked about how he was taken away from his parents when he was a little boy because his parents believed in Jesus. He was sent to the communist training and became one of the leading guards. Um, and just my mom was able to pray for him. And he just started weeping, just saying, one of the last things I'll never forget is my mom praying for me as I was being taken away and said, I pray that you will prosper, that you will always know that Jesus loves you and is for you. And it was pretty miraculous, but it was something at the same time that God did something so special. Also, it was this brokenness in my mom because they, they actually weren't able to go into Russia. They were kicked out. And all the Bibles that they had just were so excited to bring in, they weren't able to bring. And I remember my mom and dad telling me the story saying, it's amazing how God can do something so good, but yet also feel so broken. And just think, no, it wasn't supposed to be that way. You ever been there? The story is just like, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it was good, but it wasn't supposed to be that way. It wasn't supposed to be like that. Never forget when I was 17 years old, I went to this, this one church service just like this, and there was a man. He's a, he, was, he's, he was a preacher. His name was Reinhard Bonnke. And he said, young man, he's this German guy. He's like, before the year is out, you will be with me in Africa. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Africa. <laughs> and literally over the course of the next few months, I raised miraculously like $8,000 and was so excited. I was going to go. This was going to be one of his largest crusades he'd ever done. Over a million people in one place alone. Yeah. And I was so excited to get there. And when I turned up into Africa, into Lagos, Nigeria, <laughs> one of the roughest places in the world, somehow, someway, Things got crossed. I was two weeks early. 
I get out of the airport. My taxi driver takes me to the bush, holds me at knife point, threatens to take all my money and kill me right there. Somehow God gives me, just tells me, just gives me this idea and saying, hey, tell him that all your money is locked in your suitcase and if, 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 you, if you don't get it to safety, you're not going to give him the code and he won't get anything. Somehow he just listened to that. I got to the hotel only to find out because I was two weeks early, I didn't have a hotel room. So I had to go and stay in the middle of a pretty rough place in Lagos, Nigeria. Over the next few days, I would be robbed three different times. I'm 17 years old, stuck in the middle of nowhere. I'll never forget putting a mattress against my door and putting my dresser against the windows, trying to cover everything because I was so scared. And just being like, it wasn't supposed to be like that. This was supposed to be this fulfillment of something so great. This was supposed to be everything that, that like, I've been dreaming about this moment. Like, what is going on? Why, mom, why did you let me go by myself? What are we doing? <laughs> but there's something about that, that we all get to that place. We've all been there where it's like, life's good, but there's also brokenness, a storm going on inside. You ever been there? You're, every, you're laughing, you're smiling, but inside, it's like, a, it's like a category five storm going on inside. The conversations, you just can't stop them. You ever been there? Maybe it's just me. You can't stop rehearsing. You can't stop going over. You can't stop just thinking about it. You're trying to get over it. You're trying to, to, to be present, but you just can't stop what's going on inside. The problem is we get stuck. We get stuck in these moments. We get stuck in these grooves. We get stuck, as psychologists talk about, we create these neural pathways that we just can't get out of. That's where Peter's at. Peter in this story is stuck. For three and a half years, he followed. He was the one who had the revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. Yet he's also the one who at the worst point of Jesus' life, he's the one who rejects him. And he can't shake that. He can't get over the fact that he said, I would never, I will never, ever leave you. And three times, he says, I did not know that man. He's stuck. It's not the way the story is supposed to play out. It's not the way it was meant to be. Jesus, you are going to be the king. But why did all this happen that way? He's stuck. He's stuck. You ever get stuck? What's your story? What's the line? What's the, what is that thing that you just can't stop rehearsing? Counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists would talk about these neural pathways that get in our head. And the younger, the further back, the drama, the deeper those grooves go. There's something about it that you just get stuck. I remember I was driving on, on, on the road, Montlake. I live out in Seattle, and uh, I was on Montlake. And Montlake is uh, it's a fun road. There's always lots of traffic. And... Uh, <laughs> Like, these grooves are deep. You know, some grooves you can't fully see. Like, these grooves, you can literally see the grooves in the road. And uh, it's kind of interesting because when it rains out there, these potholes, literally you drive through one of them. You're like, oh, there goes my axle. My car's gone. (laughs) 
And I'm driving on that, and I just, over the course of a week, just had this, this moment as I was driving through there. And uh, I just was stuck in one of those grooves and hit one of those potholes, and I'm just like, man, this is like hurting my car. And I just felt like God started saying, like, it's like where you're stuck in your mind. You just can't get out of it. Even if you try to change lanes, you just can't. You automatically go back there. I'm like, so how do you get rid of this? And I hit one of those potholes. I'm like, man, somebody needs to do something about this. And actually, the coolest thing, the next day, I started driving, and they had just filled up those potholes and started paving over it, just paving over it. I was like, wow, that's cool. But then a few days later, rain, surprise, surprise, in Seattle hit, and those potholes were even bigger and deeper. And all of a sudden, I'm just getting this, like, driving, just getting this picture of, like, what's happening. They're stuck. I'm like, so how do you get rid of this? And the coolest thing, literally a few days later, they started just digging up this road. And really the only way to get rid of those potholes, to get rid of those grooves, is to just truly dig down to the very core and reroute them. I started just hearing God talking to me through this just random picture, realizing that that's what happens in life. Sometimes we get these grooves, and no matter what, we get stuck, and we can't stop getting out of that. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your journey is. I don't know if it was a relationship that you just said, it wasn't supposed to be like that. How could we have been married for so long and it ended like that? It's not the way the story was meant to end. Maybe it's a diagnosis. You can't shake it. You know it doesn't define you, but you can't get rid of it. It just keeps on. You just keep on hearing the words of a doctor. You keep on hearing. Maybe it was something somebody said to you, and you just, you know you're like, I don't care. I don't, that person doesn't even matter to me. But you can't stop rehearsing what they said over and over and over again. And you're stuck. So what do you do when you're stuck? What do you do when you find yourself like Peter, you can't stop. He was there. The Bible talks about that, that picture of who he was. He literally just sitting there, and it's actually an interesting picture because he says, I'm going fishing. Jesus had actually told me, he said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Wait here for the promise. And somewhere along the way of waiting, he just gets discouraged and says, I'm done. I'm going back. I'm going fishing. But it's in that place, in that journey that God loves to be. And I love it. Uh, my heart today, even just the last few moments we have, is I want to help. My prayer is that whether you feel stuck or whether you might find yourself in the future in this place, that you're going to realize there is nothing that Jesus cannot do. There's no place that he does not want to meet you. There's no place that he doesn't want to come and heal and bring life and freedom to who you are. So what do you do if you feel stuck? What do you do if you feel yourself, you find yourself in that place? I think one of the best things is by starting, acknowledging the darkness. Acknowledging where you're at, letting light in. I love Ephesians chapter 5 says this. It says, when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. Anything that is visible becomes light. You got to let light in. You got to let this place, sometimes they can feel so dark. You ever been in a place where it just feels dark? People might not even know. They don't even know what's going on. There's just darkness. 
There's darkness. Do you know that God's not scared of the dark? Genesis 1.1, the very foundation of the earth, in the beginning were the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over that surface. And even in the darkest spaces, even the darkest places, God is hovering, is moving, is right there. He's there for you. He's there for me. He's right there. And sometimes it's our, it's our brokenness, it's our weakness, it's that darkness that we want to keep him out of. We don't want to let him in. Yet it's in that place that that's where we need him to come in and say, Jesus, come, bless you. Come. Come into this place. Come into my brokenness. Come into this who I am. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says this. He wasn't just, he became a man just like you and me. And he took on our humanity. He wasn't just God, but he wanted to feel the pain and all that you would go through so that you know that you didn't have to take it on any longer. You don't have to walk on this journey alone. But his love can fill you. His light can come if you just let him. Jesus isn't after our perfection, but he's after us letting him in, taking down the mask and say, I need help. I need help. I'm broken, and I need you to come to this space. It starts by acknowledging, letting light in. Letting some light in. You know what I'm talking about? There's just, sometimes there can be dark corners, dark spaces, just things that you just, you're like, yeah, it's not me, but I'm just going to, no big deal. We'll just keep it out there. Don't have to hide any longer. You don't have to hide that hurt, that pain. Let light in. Number two, let God's word shift the conversation. Let his word shift. Let it begin to change who you are. You know, we talk about this, and this is, we believe this is one of the most powerful, not one of, it is the most powerful book. It's not just a text. It's not just some good stories. But literally, Hebrews says it is living, it is powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It gets in, the, in between you. When you begin to read it, there's power in it. There's power in it. There's power to change you. There's power to change how you think. There's power to change what you do. There's a, a brilliant psychologist. Her name is um, Carolyn Leaf. And um, she's one of the most brilliant women that, I, that I've seen. She's a neuroscientist as well as a Christian counselor. But she talks about the power of the word. If you find yourself stuck and even just in toxic thinking, you can't get rid of it, um, I just encourage you, just a practical tool. There's something called the 21-day brain detox. And it literally just shows you how to take the Bible, get it into your brain, and actually retrain some of those neural pathways. Because sometimes you can be like, I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I'm like, okay. I'm just going to read the Bible. I'm just going to get this in me. It's going to change me. But I don't know if you've ever been there. You're like, man, I just can't stop. Even though I'm reading, even though I'm praying, even though I'm doing good things, I'm being positive and speaking life, you just can't shake what's going on. And one of the biggest things is actually learning how to retrain your brain. And the best way, actually science is finally catching up with teaching us what the Bible has always taught us, that this has power to change the way you think. 
Uh, and sometimes you just got to silence those thoughts. Anybody have kids? Yeah. I have two boys. I think they'll be here next service. And they are wild and passionate, and I love them and adore them. They are so gracious and kind, but just they're warriors at heart. Adam knows. He's seen them. Have, they're going to be the first to grab swords and just, ah, my youngest, Duke. He, it's like the, I have a picture of him. I should, I should bring you and show it. But he has a sword in one hand and flowers in the other hand. And he's literally just like, ah. I'm like, that is so perfect. Like the, the romantic at heart, yet the warrior in his spirit, you know. But I don't know what it is about my boys, but like the moment I get on the phone around them, it's like the noise volume goes from like here to like here. It's like, dad, 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 dad. Any parent know what I'm talking about? It's like the moment you try to talk or you're like, I need to have just literally a 30-second conversation. It's all it's going to take. It's like the hardest thing in the world, just like the louder it gets. And you're like, just silence. <laughs> and that's how I feel sometimes my own brain is. It's like there's so much noise. There's so much going on. My heart is like, I'm like, just, just silence. <laughs> I just need to be quiet. I need to be calm. And God's word is what brings that peace, that silence. And it begins to just silence the voices that are going on inside. Silences the brokenness. Number three, I'm going to land this here. You can start playing just because it seems nice. (laughs) Number three, what do you do if you feel stuck? Get around some people that know how to declare life. You know other people, you just like, you leave there, you're like, man, I just feel tired being around them. But there's other people who are just like, no, I believe in you. You're not going to stay here forever. You might be in a storm, but you're not going to be there forever. You might have let addiction define you, but that's not who you are. That's not who you are. That debt, that's not going to be who you are. You're created to prosper, to be generous. Your failure does not define your future. You got to get around people that are going to say something. You got to be willing to let down that mask, show people who you are. But if somebody's sharing their heart, can I just say something for those of you? For the love of God, please just say something. Just say something. We need more encouragement. People don't need to know that they're wrong, they're messed up. People need to know that they're going to make it. Sometimes we just need someone to just be with us and get our back. You know what I'm talking about? We just need to say something. Because we get stuck. You ever been watching TV, Netflix, or something like that, and you just paused it, and, like, just, and it like was the weirdest face that somebody has, they're like... <laughs> They're like, might be the most beautiful person, but they're just like. (laughs) And you're just like, my my boys laugh at that so much. But I was having this picture. I was watching this the other day. and Just somebody was just like that, just the ugliest face. And my boys are like, dad, it's so funny. And I just had this moment of just realizing like, that's what happens in life. We get stuck. We get frozen. In a place that we think is defining who we are. 
We think that that picture, that ugly picture is defined who we are, yet our life is not never meant to be a picture. Our life is meant to be a moving story. Our life is meant to be a film. Our life is a journey. It's not over. You might feel like you're stuck right now, but today I feel called by God to push unpause and realize that that is not really the way it's supposed to look. It's supposed to keep on going. You might think it looks broken. You might think it's the end, but it's not over. It might just be the end of a chapter, but the story is not being finished, written. God is still writing your story. It's a story of life. It's a story of future. It's a story of hope. You will get through it. You will get through it. God is with you. He's with you. He's with Peter. The Bible literally says that literally, uh, I don't even have time to get into this, but it, literally he jumps out of the boat to go, sw- to go see Jesus because he says it's Jesus. But somewhere in the passage, in between the swim to land, some 300 feet to land, he gets stuck. He's remembering his rejection. He's remembering his failure. And he's literally just waiting in the water and it helps pull in the fish. And the whole time he's eating breakfast, there's something broken going on. Come on, you've all had those breakfasts where it's like, man, you could cut the tension with a knife. And he's sitting there. And the Bible literally says he takes Peter on a walk after breakfast. And he begins to ask him. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he uses this word, this deep, unending, sacrificial love. And Peter, broken in his heart, says, I love you. But he uses a natural. He uses a fleeting love. He says, I I want to tell you I love you, but I've, I've denied you. I rejected you. And three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? Symbolizing the three times that Peter denied him because he wanted Peter to know that even in your weakness, I'm there. You may have rejected me, but I've accepted you long ago. Even in that place that you feel is over, it's not over. Just let my love in. Let my love. It's not your love that's going to enable you, but it's my love that will come in. Watch and see what the story has. The story's not over. The story's not over. Even for me, when I was 17, two weeks would pass. I would end up seeing some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in my life. I literally saw a man who didn't have an eyeball in his eye socket miraculously an eye grow. I saw over a million people in one service decide to follow Jesus. And what seemed like it was the darkest night turned into one of the most significant parts of my life as I yielded to Jesus. I will end with this. A few years ago, probably actually about 10 years ago. After communism had fallen, we went back to a city in the Ukraine. My parents were holding a, a large crusade and this, this old man came up to my mom and he just said, hey, remember me? And my mom's like, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. He's like, remember me, the arm guy? I almost hit you? And she's like, oh yeah, I will never forget you. <laughs> He said, what you don't know is I took all those Bibles and I took them back to my mom who she never had a Bible before in her life. And I brought them to this city. 
And he said, from that, he's like, all those Bibles literally got spread throughout this city. And this church that you're in today, that's thousands of people, was planted from that moment. <laughs> we don't know the end of the story because he's not done. He's not done with your story. He's not done with you. But today, I pray that there would be a play that's pushed. And you can get up and keep moving. That the sound of the voice that has been keeping on, maybe that's haunted you with silence today. And you would hear the voice of love, of freedom, forgiveness. The sound of the rooster crowing that reminds you of the rejection will be silenced. And you would hear the sound of the love of Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment of privacy and contemplation? In a moment, I'm just going to step down and Ty's going to come back up or Jay's going to come back up. But I want to pray for you. Maybe if you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus. You've never received that freedom, that forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. I want to pray for you. If you would just be bold enough to say, Jason, this is for me. Will you pray for me? Would you just, with every head bowed, would you just raise your hand and say, this is for me. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to put my trust in him. Would you just raise your hand all over this room? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right now, there's a, a prayer that's going to come up, and I want you to know you're not doing this alone, but all over this room that we're here praying this prayer together. Would you just pray this with us all together? The Bible says that when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, salvation, there's freedom. Something as simple as just praying a simple prayer, the life that will come with it. Will you pray with us? Pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen.